So if you're like a solo agent, you probably are doing income business and you're doing servicing, you're doing both, right? So um, I've always been either on a team or had my own team. And so I would always focus on what we call the dollar productive behaviors, which is talking to people, doing lead follow-up, going on appointments, negotiating contracts, what we call the plan. Welcome to the No Excuse Pro Podcast, your weekly dose of motivation and actionable advice. If you're a realtor, financial planner, business owner, or anyone who's tired of making excuses and ready to take your success to the next level, you've come to the right place. Join your host, Kevin Briarton, each week as he chats with industry leaders who are going beyond the excuses to achieve their goals. So no excuses accepted. Let's get started. Man, I truly believe that there's a lot of people we can impact on this. I've done a lot of thinking on what's important to me, and I believe um, that I can impact more people and have more worth and and help people overcome their excuses to get more out of life. I yeah. truly believe that people have things they want to do, but don't take the action necessary or have too many excuses. And I boiled it down to the excuse, because I truly believe that there's excuses in the way and that causes so many negatives down the road. So I mm. want to bring you on as one of the top realtors in Arizona or the nation. You're awesome. Worked with you for almost 10 years or more and appreciate you as a partner. And I just want to bring you on to talk about what it means to have a no excuse mindset and, and mm. to succeed and achieve your goals. Right. Um, well, I mean, obviously it's going to be a little bit different for everybody. But um, one of the best quotes I heard was from Brian Tracy, and I'll never forget it. And his quote was, if it's going to be, it's going to be up to me. Oh, and, and so, you know, and so that was my, that was kind of one of my catalysts is if anything was going to happen, it had to start with me. And, you know, being the sole, the sole breadwinner for my family, I really didn't have an option to, to fail. Um, and so I think for a lot of people, if they have an option to fail, they don't have to do it. They don't have to be successful. They have maybe another income. They have passive income. Maybe they have a spouse that's really kind of, you know, carrying the bills. If that's happening, they might not have the strongest motivation to do it. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused is motivation. You know, everyone goes to motivational seminars, read motivational books. I got to get motivated. And I think it was David Goggins who was talking about motivation and said, motivation is like a feeling. And it's fleeting. It comes and it goes. It could have been Tony Robbins. Um, yeah, I think it was David Goggins. Yeah, it comes and goes. What's more important is discipline. And yeah. so um, discipline, and there was interesting, there was a survey done of billionaires. And while they were very different in many ways, they all had one thing in common. They all said the same thing. Like, what was your key to success? They all said the exact same thing. It was discipline. They said it was doing what you need to do when you need to do it, whether you feel like it or not. Yeah. And so that was the big, that's the big difference between top producers and everybody else's. The top producers realize that it's not about whether I feel like doing it or want to do it. It's about doing what I need to do when I need to do it, whether I feel like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, and look at, it. I mean, during the holidays, it could be easy for us to be going, Hey, you know what? I'm going to take the afternoon off. It's beautiful out in Arizona. And, you know, mm -hmm. but I think that there's, you know, that right there is huge doing what you need to do, whether you feel like it or not, comes down to, I know that you've really made a change, you know, in your life around the gym and, you know, physically and taking care of your health mm. and then, you know, bleeding that into business. Um, what is like, what is the one thing that makes you 
makes the difference for you and your success? What is, and maybe you've already talked about this, uh, mm. what's the one thing that's really the difference maker in your success? Um, so, I mean, for me, it's always been an act of faith, right? Believing that God wants me to be successful and honoring him with that. So that's always been the bedrock. And then realizing that every action I take, the actions I take, are they going to be income producing actions or are they service producing actions? So if you're like a solo agent, you probably are doing income business and you're doing servicing, you're doing both, right? So um, I've always been either on a team or had my own team. And so I would always focus on what we call the dollar productive behaviors, which is talking to people, doing lead follow-up, going on appointments, negotiating contracts, what we call the plan, right? Prospect lead follow-up, going to appointments, negotiate contracts. Anything outside of the plan was not really revenue generating you know, uh, activities, so anything outside of that would be more of a customer service uh, function. So you'd want to have licensed agents on your team, you know, supporting you, handling all the customer service side. So your clients are happy. You're getting the five-star reviews. You're getting the referrals. You're delivering on your promises. You want someone to handle that for you so you can focus on the dollar-generating activities, such as prospecting, lead follow-up, going on appointments, negotiating contracts. Where a lot of agents kind of fall apart is they kind of mix those two up. Or they get a couple of deals under contract, they spend all their time on the service side of things, and they're not constantly going out and trying to fill their pipeline for future business. So they go from no, nothing going on to pendings, to closings, to feeling rich for a day or two, and then realizing there's nothing coming. And now they're broke, and they're freaking out and having a panic attack, and they're trying to scramble to get the pipeline filled again. So it's just major roller coaster. And I think a lot of agents have a hard time getting off the roller coaster because they're just grinding to get a couple of deals and they focus on those deals because they have to close because they got to pay their bills. Then they close and they're happy, but they realize there's nothing coming. And so it's just learning to, to segment your day where your mornings should be dedicated to looking for clients and following up with clients and going, you know, and getting that all set up and then using your afternoons for listing appointments or showing properties, keeping those two things completely separate, right? New clients focus in the morning, current clients focus the afternoon. So say that again. So plan. What was plan? What did it stand for? So yeah. So so prospecting, lead follow up, going on appointments, negotiating contracts. Negotiating. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, mm -hmm. and it's interesting because if you think about any big business, let's just say mm -hmm. a Coca Cola. Well, Coca Cola's marketing department doesn't care about the shipping of the cans. Right. <laughs> and, and like, if they worried about, oh, are the well, if we sell too many cans, are we going to be able to sell them all? Well. Let the distribution side of that worry about it. Let's go market and head our numbers. Mm -hmm. And I think in the mortgage business and the real estate business, and you can even look at like financial advisors a lot like this too. We get so wrapped up in trying to do all of the pieces where we're not segmenting our business in mm -hmm. these pieces that are sales, you know, operations, and then post-closing client, mm -hmm. you know, past clients. And we kind of muddle all of it up and say we're trying to do something. So I love that idea. I've always had a, a win by noon mentality about, um, you know, how do I drive the activity in the morning? Because I feel like the afternoons get kind of chaotic. Um, yep. So I just make sure you get everything done, like whether it's working out, whether it's time with your family. I drive my daughter to school every day and then I take my son on one day a week. But I should even try to get some of the family time in in the morning because sometimes afternoons get crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's what I do by design. And yep. I love that idea. I love plan. I, I actually haven't heard of that before, mm -hmm. but all of it comes back to the faith. And I think that I'm reading um, Think and Grow Rich. And one mm -hmm. of the things is 
you have to have the desire, but you also have to have the faith. So mm -hmm. just because you have the desire to have the discipline, you do all this stuff, have the goals, but you have no faith behind that it's going to work out. Uh, yeah. it's, it, it's all kind of meaningless. And mm -hmm. obviously around um, faith around religion as well is very important for doing it, not just, just for the money. Um, you know, God says, do it for the, you know, it's bad to do it for the love of the money, but money itself is not necessarily bad. It's just what we, it's a tool for what we can, you know, what we can do with our lives. Right. Well, I mean, if you think of the way capitalism works in our country, in any country that, you know, allows capitalism, I mean, the, you can make as much money as you want to make, but you have to help a lot of people. So another way of putting it, um, you know, Zig Ziglar would say, you can have anything in life you want as long as you help enough other people get what they want. Or Brian Tracy would say, if you want to dine with the classes, you have to sell to the masses. So I think it's an equal distribution. If the more people you help, the more money you make. And that's the key word. The more people you help, the more people you service, the better service you give, the more referrals you get, the more business you have. So the more people you help, the better your financial rewards. The less people you help, the less rewards you receive. So if you're not helping a lot of people, you don't have a lot of clients, you're obviously not offering a service or putting yourself out there to offer a service that people want at a high level. So the world will compensate you or God, how I believe it, God will compensate you for the amount of service you deliver to others. So if you help a thousand people buy and sell a home, you've done a huge service for people. You've helped a lot of people and God says to serve, right? So if you're serving a lot of people, you're going to make a lot of money because you're serving a lot of people. If you're not serving very few, very few people, you're not going to make a lot of money. It's just about the amount of people you help. What do you hear? I've been hearing recently from people that, you know, it's like, well, I want to help people and I don't want to push them into something mm. or I want to help them. So I'm, mm. I'm okay with, you know, uh, I, they almost, it's almost like a guilt for yeah. trying to help people do what they are doing. Can you talk to that? Like, mm. what is, what is that? Is that coming from? Oh, uh, well, um, that could be coming from a lot of things. So it can come from, I think most children in America, you know, are told, um, you know, stop when you're a child, stop asking so much, right? I already told you no once. Don't, uh, don't ask me again. So yeah. as kids, we're born salespeople, most of us, unless we're extremely introverted as children, a lot of kids, they want something and they're going to ask mom and dad 15 different ways from Sunday on how to get, it. at least that's how I was as a kid, yeah. right? And your parents are like, no, stop asking. I already told you no, but you're thinking of a different angle to get them to say yes, Right. And so the kids that are persistent and push really hard to get what they want from their parents and find 15 different angles to get it and never really took no for an answer, those are the ones that are typically be, have an easier time in sales. Huh. The more compliant kids, when mom and dad said no and they stopped, they got, they got indoctrinated or coached or mentored, if you will, on some level that when someone says no, it means no when it comes to whatever you're asking for. And so they just stop, right? They just stop. And so if someone says no, they don't hear it as, they hear it as no, like stop asking, like, don't be pushy. People don't like pushy people. And if, if they grew up that way, that's a hang up they got to get over. So <clears throat> what I was always told was that no really means K-N-O-W. When they say no, they don't know enough to say yes. And so when they're saying no, they're saying no to whatever it is you're, you're, you're asking for or whatever it is you're requesting. So you have to ask a few more questions to find out, is it valid? A lot of times people say no because they have a question, they have a concern, there's something that's not adding up. Maybe it's not what they want. Maybe you have a misunderstanding of what they want. Maybe it's just hesitation, like buyer's remorse, right? You, you have to ask some questions to get past it. 
But I think where people get confused is they think they, they confuse persuasion and manipulation, right? So persuasion is getting someone to do something for their benefit. Manipulation is getting someone to do something for your benefit, right? So if you know this is the best house for them, you know that everything else they saw was a dump. You know that it's going to be cheaper for them to own this home than it is to rent. You know the wife's going to give birth here in the next two weeks and they got to get out of that apartment. You know the guy's just getting some cold feet. You know they're going to be happy here, right? So if you're helping them make that decision, get past the fear, and then they close on the home, they'll be happy, right? You've done a service. Well, so here's the, I think the challenge with that though, a lot of people don't know, right? So not the client, but the the questions that are the underlying questions that we get asked, right? So yeah. I just got off a call with a client doing a discovery call and you know, I always ask what's most important about owning a home to you. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, I want a low payment. Okay. Well, sounds good. I could have just said, awesome. Let's get you a low payment. Well, why? Why? Right. Well, really it was more about, she needed to get a house in Arizona because of her family here and her health issues. And mm -hmm. she would have just had a grandbaby that was too, all of a sudden opened up. And I started, because I kind of went, kept going. Like, I need to know what's mm -hmm. going on. How do we serve mm -hmm. you? So right. what you're hitting on is you got to do the work to understand what you're actually helping somebody do. You yeah. know, usually if they're talking to an agent, they want to sell their house. Otherwise they mm -hmm. wouldn't be talking to you, you know? And then it's our job to understand, you know, mm -hmm. what their reasoning is for it. In that case, she also liked NASCAR and I found out she wanted to go to, um, in Air, you know, she couldn't, be out of state to get the, you know, go to the NASCAR race that you want to go. So it was really, really cool to go, wow, you know, like, how do we figure out the know and understand how to know what they need? Because mm -hmm. I tell you, like, a lot of people, whether you're running a business or in real estate or mortgage, um, man, you, a lot of people don't know what to know. Like, it's our job to help navigate and figure that out. Yep. Well, that's just it. And I think what you hit the hit on is, is motivation. And people, people can think motivations is like, well, either they're motivated or they're not. But if you break the word down motive to take action, that's what motivation is. It's a motive to take action. So what is their motive to take action? What's their motive to buy a home? What's their motive to sell a home, right? Once you know what that motive is, health issues, right? Um, yeah. Maybe closer to kids, downsize. You know, I, I just had a double knee replacement. I'm in a two-story. My master bedroom's upstairs, right? Yeah. What, what's the motive to take action? Because when you know what the motive to take action is, you can get a feeling for what they're looking for. And then also when they tend to forget, and some people do in the heat yeah. of the transaction, they forget why they're doing it. And they start focusing on the numbers and stop focus and stop focusing on why they're doing it in the first place. And so we all want a good, you know, we want to serve our clients, get them a great sale price. We want to mm -hmm. get them a great deal, but sometimes they get in their own way, yep. right? Because yeah. they're, they forget like, Oh, I don't want to sell. Like, you know, you're selling because you need to move to a one story because your daughter has health issues and you need mm -hmm. a pool. Like, that's why you're doing it. You're not yeah. doing it because rates are high. You're doing right. it for that reason. Yep. Yep. People, it's interesting because when it comes to, you know, uh, when it comes to money, people have, you know, that's a whole different conversation. We could talk hours about money yeah. and how people relate to money and where they get that relationship from and whether they have faith or fear and all these things about money. But when people start focusing on money, when I mean the numbers, I'm not talking about what they pay in fees or commissions or whatever. I'm talking about when they start thinking about money, they can get so focused on the money side of things that they're forgetting the whole reason that they're doing it. 
yeah. right? I mean, I'm saying, going, look, you're talking $10,000 less than you were anticipating, but you're going to be with your family for Christmas. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to replace the roof. Mr. Mrs. Seller, I can appreciate you don't want to replace the roof. What's also true is if you don't replace the roof and this deal falls apart, you still own the home and you got a bad roof. <laughs> yeah. Right. So if you decide not to sell the home, you're going to spend that 10 grand on the roof anyway. So why not just give the buyer credit, let them deal with the roof after closing and you can make your move. Right. So, so I got two, two customer service things. I want to use that to kind of go into some ideas of that. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, tell me about an amazing time where you helped a customer mm -hmm. um, that you remember something that was like, you know, you know, could have been life changing for him or a big deal. Just tell me a time that you had a did an amazing job helping a customer. Um, well, I can think of one story that stands out. And there's a lot because I've, I've got a few thousand past clients. So it's kind of hard to sift through them all, figure out which one. But there was one in particular where I called a seller with their home had come off the market for sale. I caught the husband in the hospital. He was going into surgery. Um, we had a great conversation. Um, and he took my information down and uh, I followed up with him a couple of times, you know, after that to see how he was doing, if he was recovering well. And then things went radio silent for about 30 days. And I thought, well, you know, it happens. Um, I get a call from his wife about 30 days later saying he died unexpectedly after surgery. And she was on the phone and she was, you know, choking up. And she said, my husband told me, hey, you know, I like this guy. I think he should sell our home when we get this all wrapped up. She said, he's not here now and I don't need the home anymore. And it was almost his request to use you. So I'm going to do that. And I get a good feeling. So I sold her home, you know, help her get into it, you know, help her get out of a bad situation. And so it's things like that, you know, those kind of stories where you can help people, you know, that go through something tragic and help them through a really tough time in their life. Those are the ones that mean the most to me. Yeah. Um, those are the ones that stand out of, of the clients I've helped in the past. The ones that, you know, something tragic happens or they've had a really bad experience and you're able to get them out of a bad situation and help them move forward. And that's the most rewarding thing. I mean, I think just reading some of the reviews that you get, you know, about how you've helped someone move on with their life and start the next chapter in their life. I mean, we tend to forget sometimes that when we're helping someone buy or sell a home, we're helping them in many ways, close a chapter and open a new chapter. And some people's lives are stuck in this weird limbo state until that can happen. So we really are change agents. We help people make a change and help them move to the next chapter in their life. And many of them can't unless they make that move. I mean, think of this. If you have a seller who can't sell a home and they decide to rent it out instead of selling it, that chapter in their life hasn't fully closed. They still own that home. They now have a tenant in that property. And now they might be laying awake at night, hoping the tenant's going to pay the rent. They're taking care of the place, right? That, that, that chapter is never closed. If you can help someone close that chapter, move on to the next stage of their life, I mean, that in itself is a reward. Well, it's huge. I mean, I think that right now people are holding on to properties because they have a lot of equity and they go, well, mm -hmm. I can rent it out. I don't want to let go of it. But mm -hmm. to your point, I think that that they're, the chapter is over for them, but they're trying to keep the chapter open and not close it. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, and for us to understand what's going on and you know, who knows where these values go? You know, we're talking into 2023 right now, but um, we believe the market should be fairly stable, but there's there's some opportunities where somebody could leave a lot of money on the table. If they don't sell, um, you know, and get out of something, especially if they're renting it. And let's say they move out of state, the renter doesn't pay, they can't take care of it. And it can just be a snowball. 
and that rental that they thought was a blessing could end up being a really big curse. So, yeah. you know, really educating them, are you sure you want to rent this? Are you sure you don't want to close that chapter and move on? Mm -hmm. uh, it could be a big deal because they can, you know, they can turn around with that money and, you know, they can positively move the needle or negatively move the needle very quickly, mm -hmm. especially if they lose a job. And let's say they lose a job and lose a renter. If they don't have enough money in the savings, they're done. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people think about, um, unless they own other rental properties, they don't think about, I should have six months reserves and mortgage payments for this home in case there's a big repair, in case there's a vacancy, you know, in case we have a non-paying tenant, God forbid you have a tenant who files bankruptcy in your property. It's a real process to get them out. So I don't know if people fully, fully think about that. And what, what I find interesting is many times it's because they're getting 20, 30,000 less than what they want for the house. It's like, have you considered that maybe the price comes down 20, 30,000 next year? Have you considered that you might put 20, 30,000 into it to fix it up when the tenant moves out? Oh, yeah. um, I mean, I can think of many people who didn't sell their homes back in 2007, who decided to rent their homes instead of sell them. And that was the top of the market. It was very interesting because it was similar to this market where, you know, rates have been cut after 9-11, you know, to prevent a recession, which caused a housing boom, right? And then prices started to peak and, uh, you know, and we're getting really high. And so the Fed wanted to cool, cool the inflation. So they started raising rates in 06. And then 2007, you know, prices started to come down. Banks started to fail. Yeah. And COVID, you know, they cut rates to prevent a recession, caused another big housing boom. Then we had the biggest rate hike in U.S. history. Home prices started to cool and some banks started to fail. What I find interesting is that 100% of the time, to my knowledge, when the Fed has raised rates, a recession has followed. Now, it's possible this time could be different, but the track record right now is 100%. So I'm telling everyone the same thing. Whether the market goes up or down next year, I, you know, I think that's kind of beside the point. The point is, if it does go down, you start losing equity in your property. It doesn't matter if you want to be in this home 10, 15 years. It does matter if you're thinking you're going to own it for one or two years more. Yeah. So I'm telling everyone I know, pick the home you want to be in for the next 7, 10, 15 years. If this isn't it, you might want to consider selling it. Hmm. I mean, well, they say, well, what if prices go up? Well, if you've already bought another home, you know, prices go up, you make money on your new place, right? Yeah. What if prices go down? Well, maybe you'll be stuck in the home you want to be in for the next 10, 15 years. You know, you're not looking to day trade your property, are you? Yeah. I, didn't think so. I didn't think so. So pick the home you want to be in, right? And start paying it down. Well, and I think there's a difference of, you know, there's narrative out there about buy a house forever, you know, or mm -hmm. okay, you should always buy. There's never a good time to not buy a house. Like mm -hmm. some people say that, oh, you should just get in the market, time in the market, which is, I, I actually believe that if it's your primary residence and you mm -hmm. need a place to live, 100%. Mm -hmm. Then there's mm -hmm. another camp that says, just rent and then invest your money elsewhere. Yeah, I don't yeah. think either mm -hmm. one are really right. I think it needs to be their situation. Like I think the, mm -hmm. the flippers right now are, are struggling. I think that's going to be a, a tough time if they bet the wrong direction. And yeah. we're seeing people that are very novice into the flipping business. Maybe they got in the last couple mm -hmm. of years. And man, they're in bad position. Like a couple of people yeah. I've talked to recently, um, and they're holding on, you know, I'm like, just sell it. Like, well, you know, if I can get tenants in there and they get a refinance, mm -hmm. I'm like, that's too many ifs, you know, yeah. like just take the money. Like it's, and so that's where I think the concern is, is there's no one size fits all. And it's like figuring out their, their, mm -hmm. you know, knowing their situation. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to stick on your services for one more minute on this, because you do an awesome job on 
you know, buying and selling, really helping people optimize their listings for the houses, but I don't want to put these words in your mouth. So let me ask you, tell me about a resource or service that you provide that really changes the experiences for your customer and, and, and helps their, uh, their process of buying and selling a house. Tell me about a resource or service that you provide. Well, I'd say one of the biggest things is, you know, I have, I have four full-time agents on my team that are licensed agents that are employees of mine and their job is to service the client from beginning to end. And this is where most agents don't have that option. I mean, they are the agent, they are the closing partner, they are the, the servicer. And so they're trying to do everything for everyone. And that's where a lot of the service get, becomes a problem. And so when you have someone full-time dedicated to the clients, so every one of my clients has a full-time uh, closing partner whose job is to service them and make sure everything is handled from A to Z from the time they come in the door so they can get much better service. That's their only job. They're not running all over town, showing properties, writing offers, going and listing appointments. Their only job is to service my clients that come in to make sure that everything's handled from the time they go on the market to the time they close. Or from the time the buyer brings, our agent brings in a contract for a buyer under contract, handles everything till closing. Having someone's job just be fully devoted to the service side of things and making sure all the deadlines are met, the paperwork's taken care of. The other side of the transactions doing their job so we can have a timely closing. Having someone full-time dedicated to that gives the client a much better experience in most cases rather than hiring an agent where you know, they're, they're trying to do everything for everyone. It just becomes a real mess. And I think that's one of the reasons why our industry is, you know, doesn't have the best reputation is A, the barrier to entry is extremely low. B, there's not a lot of training for agents on how to be a great agent. And because the agent's doing everything themselves and they're not in a team structure where they have people's jobs full-time dedicated to service, they're, they're splitting their time, you know, too many different ways and the service levels are just terrible. Well, we're seeing it, man. I think the, you got some realtors are really struggling and some are thriving. And if they don't want to do the activity and don't want to have the discipline around it, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's sad. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this because I think agents need help. And man, this has been, this has been great. So like, where do you, where do you see, like, you're very, you know, um, goal oriented. You always tackle and I think you always blow past your goal, which is awesome. And I only I love about you. And like, what do you want to accomplish over the next 90 days? And also why is it important mm -hmm. to you? Well, I, let's start with the whole thing about agents. So in this market that we're in right now, where we have the lowest number of pending listings in history at this time, right? And so because of that, there's a lot of agents out there that are leaving the business, can't pay their bills. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I call an expired cancel listing and it's an agent listing their own property. And I, I just can't help but think that some of these agents probably are doing it because they can't afford them anymore, right? They're not making the income they were making to support that lifestyle. So they're selling their homes. Um, which I think is, is really a shame because if there's an agent out there who's a solo agent and wants to do higher production and wants to make more money, but doesn't want to work 80 hours a week because they're going to have to service all those clients they take on, they should really should look into joining a team, right? Yeah. A team. And a lot of agents hesitate from joining a team because they don't want to do a commission split. But if an agent looks at how much money they make on the few transactions they do and then factor in all their expenses, they're paying a split already because they're covering all the expenses. If they're only doing five deals a year and they're keeping maybe 60 to 70% of their income after expenses, they're already paying a split. Where they can do 15, 20, 30 deals a year on a team and actually net more money than they would on their own because on a team, they don't have to hire anybody, right? So my- well, what I look at your dollar, dollar average, what you're doing, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're doing sales, 
you're making yeah. X amount per hour. And then if you're doing service, you're making X. So you're already doing a split, even if you're just looking at what time you're using your time for and doing. Yeah. And I've, uh, I heard a really good saying that is, uh, I was like, is, do you want a hundred percent of a grape or 50% of a watermelon? <laughs> there you go. That's great. That's great. I love it. That is, that's, that's so true. That's so true. So, um, you know, we're at um, eight salespeople now. Our goal is to go to 20. And um, we're just looking for agents that are, you know, motivated, have a lot of drive. And so here are five things I look for in an agent and five things that are really signs of a great producer or or someone who's going to be a great producer, right? So, the, and these are all the same five things that most coaches look for in a top athlete. Well, like number one's heart. They have to have heart, right? Number two, they have to have commitment, right? Are they committed? Number three, they got to have drive. They got to have a lot of drive. Number four, they got to have discipline, right? We talked about that earlier. Number five, they got to have high standards, right? Those are the five. If you can find an agent, or if you think you're an agent watching this, that has heart, commitment, drive, discipline, high standards, and that's what you're looking for, love to hear from you, right? We're looking for agents like that. We want agents to come to our team that have that because then we're going to show you how to take it to a different level, yeah. how to grow your business, how to do more business, how to have a more balance in your life, because I can take everything outside of that plan, right? The prospecting, the lead follow-up, going on appointments, negotiating contracts. Imagine for a moment, that's all you had to do. That's all you had to do. And everything else was handled by the team. Your only job was to call on clients, follow up on clients, show clients properties, or go on listing appointments, get contracts signed. And then all the service was handled by the team. So you knew your clients were being taken care of. They were happy. Everything was good. But your time was freed up to go find more clients to work with. Imagine, imagine taking a listing, right? But then having the follow-up calls done, the feedback calls done, any price adjustment calls done, the contract negotiation done and the closing handled by the partner where you could go out and find more sellers who need our help. Imagine that. That's how the client gets the best service because the client gets someone full-time dedicated to the sale of their home. And then you have an agent out there finding people who need help to bring them into a system that's one of the top 20 in the Valley for moving homes. And half the homes we move are homes other agents aren't moving, right? So imagine having that track record and then using that track record to go out and meet with clients and then using that to acquire more clients. So that's the ultimate leverage, right? Is partnering with a team, one of the top teams in the Valley, whether it's my team or someone else, it's partnering with one of those teams and then using that leverage to go out and meet with people and bring them into a system that has a proven track record of getting things done. Because in the market we're going into, sellers are looking for agents they have a, a system and a track record for getting the job done. So what do you think right now is holding you back from not having 20 on the team today? That's a great question. Um, there, you have, you know, if you've had, I know you've interviewed people, right? So we interview someone, you have what they tell you they can do, what they, they, they can put on a face. Like when you're going on a date, now it's been a long time since I've been married over 20 years. I've been on a date in a long time, right? Other than dating my wife for the last 20 years. But um, you go on a date and you meet someone and they put on a face and you think you know who they are and then you find out later, they're not the person you thought they were. Now, sometimes that's the same thing with a salesperson. They, make, they can make a lot of claims and, you know, I do this, I do that, I'm great at this, I'm great at that. You bring them in the system and then they don't put in the work and the effort it's going to take to get there right? They, they can talk, but they can't follow it up. And so, you know, if, if someone's not going to not going to work at a high standard and a high level, and if they're not going to follow through on the commitments they've made, then I don't want mediocre people on my team, 
right? So I'm not going to keep them on my team. I'm looking for people who have integrity. They're going to do what they say they're going to do. They're going to follow through, follow up, give the client a great experience. And if they're not going to do that, I don't want them on my team. I don't know anybody who would, right? So finding those, finding those, uh, those diamonds, if you will, amongst the coal and finding somebody who really, really wants that success and is willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. That's a great answer. I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, one thing I've, I've found over the years is as soon as you think you should let somebody go, you should mm -hmm. let them go. Right. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I, you're like, well, you know, I'll give them another shot and do this. And it's like, oh, my intuition was right. And and sometimes when you have a big heart and you're trying to help people and you're busy and you're, oh, I need, I need this position. Um, but here's the thing, like, we got to learn from our mistakes. And the only way mm -hmm. you hire and build and grow is you you do it. I mean, look at like a business like Amazon. I mean, we're uh, into 2023. They're obviously hiring a bunch of people for the holidays mm. and they're going to let go people. I think running a business, you probably could agree with me um, that sometimes you have to hire and sometimes you'll have to let go and the volume's going to go up and down because of the market. We always want to do really well, but sometimes mm. it doesn't always you know, participate with us or help us out. But mm -hmm. it's okay to let people go too. And as you whittle down those amazing people is mm -hmm. it better to have 20 mediocre people or eight really, really good people? Because I know you have awesome, awesome people. Yeah. And one of the things that I'll tell you is I do, I think more now than ever, even after COVID, people need the interaction. People need to be around people and having a team to interact with and lean on. Mm -hmm. A lot of realtors right now, if you're out there listening to this and you're a realtor where you're struggling with uh, maybe some mental health, maybe just you need to be around other people. It fills it can fill you up inside to be around a person like Jason and his team, just because you can see what they're doing. They have an established team that's out there doing the right thing. And mm -hmm. I believe that if you can find people that get filled up from that, um, enjoy. And uh, I think you guys can make just such a huge difference, but you can't just hire anybody. Uh, I think that 20 number is exciting. And uh, I know uh, we'll keep our eyes and ears out for you. So I'm going to ask you one last question as we kind of land the blame here. And this has been a great, I've learned a lot. I'm going to go back and listen to this myself because I, there's, there's some huge nuggets that are pretty awesome. Um, what do you want on your resume in the next two years? I haven't had a resume in 20 plus years. <laughs> um, so right, right now, um, my big goal um, when I bring agents on my team, my goal is to make them millionaires, right? And so, you know, it's easy to be, to, to be a realtor and become a millionaire if you're good at what you do, but to make other people millionaires, right? To pass it on, to help people achieve their goals. That's exciting, right? And so what I've done is I've designed a team that I would want to be on if I was a full-time sales agent who wasn't on a team. I, I'd want, I want a team that would take care of all the service side of the business so I could focus on finding as many people as I could possibly help, yeah. right? There's no, because of all of that's just, you're just passing off. I'm like, no, I'm not passing anybody off. I don't have over 400 five-star reviews online because I pass people off. It's not what I do. But I want to deliver people the great, the best service. Anytime an agent says, Jason will pass you off, what they're saying is, I'm not going to spend part of the commission I'm collecting from you to hire people to give you the service you deserve, right? Agents want to keep the money completely to themselves. They don't want to hire anybody to deliver better service. And so they're trying to do it themselves to keep the full commission and the service stinks, right? So 
what I would say to most agents, if you really want to make a lot of money, you want to have longevity in the business. You don't want to burn out. You want to make it through the next housing cycle. Cause I've been through, you know, I've been through housing cycles. I got my license in 99. I got my broker's license in 07. I've been through some housing cycles, right? So if you want to survive all that, you need a team for a couple of different reasons. Number one, you want to be around a group of people that's highly motivated, excited, and wants to do a lot of great business. You want that to help you and encourage you, right? You want that support system. It's interesting because in real estate, it's a people business, but it's a lonely business, especially if you're on your own. Extremely lonely business. So a lot of times when you have synergy with people who all want to be successful, want to work together, they do more together than they do on their own. I've tracked many of the agents who've come on my team and left my team. They did more production on my team than when they left. Even if they take up the split. You know, yeah. it's like you're, you're doing half, you know, right. quarter of the business. Yeah. Right. I mean, think about this. I mean, how, how much business can you get if you have three or four yard signs out there versus a team that has 50? Yeah. You know, you're going to get a lot more calls. You're going to get a lot more inbound leads. You're going to get a lot more options to work with than if you go out on your own, right? You want that leverage. And so I think a lot of times people trip over dollars to reach for pennies in real estate. And I don't think they really fully factor in. I mean, if you talk to most of the top teams out there, if you could get into their books and see what their net profit is, it's less than 50-50. So if that's the case, why wouldn't you go join a team and keep like say 50% of the commission and then not have any of the expense, not have any of the overhead, not have any of the staffing, none of that. None of that stress that we're seeing. A lot of agents will hire an assistant and then they spend all their time training the assistant and then they're not producing business. And then they realize their pipeline's drying up and now they got a full-time employee. And then what the employee gets sick, the employee goes on vacation or they quit. Now you're right back to square one. And a lot of agents go through that cycle multiple times. It's extremely frustrating. Why don't you join a team that already has that in place and just focus on what you do best, which is sell. Meet with clients, deliver a great service, help them find the home that they want or help them get their home sold. You'll have all the financial rewards you, you want and you'll be able to give them the service they deserve. And those referrals will give you a much better base to work from where you're not sweating every deal. Does that make sense? Awesome, man. How many millionaires are you going to make? What's your goal? Well, that's why I want 20. I know. I want to do 20. So, 20 millionaires. Yeah, 20 millionaires. I want 20 people to say, hey, J Jason, help me become a millionaire in real estate. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I know I'll be looking out there for you to try to get some agents. I know agents are struggling right now and just curious, do you, is your team only in the Valley or are you going into like other markets? Um, tell me a little bit about the market you want to be in. Well, so we cover Maricopa and Pinal County. Um, we have clients that obviously move to different areas of the Valley or, you know, like they want to go to Flagstaff and go to Tucson. We have referral partners, you know, Prescott that we'll, we'll refer to because um, we don't, we don't have access to their MLS. We don't know those markets. So I wouldn't, pretend to be able to help someone there. But we do have great agents in those markets that are good friends of mine that I refer my clients to to make sure that they're taken care of pretty much throughout the country. So I'm part of the Mike Ferry organization. I'm trained and been coached by their company for about 15 years. They train most of the top agents throughout North America. A lot of them are my friends because I've been part of the network for so long. And so a lot of times I'll be sending business to them or they'll be sending business to myself just because we know that we run our businesses on a really high standard. We have high service standards. And so we know that our clients will be taken care of and so um, if you know, you know, if you know someone who wants to move out of state or move to a different market, we can definitely help them out. Well, sometimes they just need help with the plan too. Like if you, you mm -hmm. they need your advice first and so talking through something and then, you know, that's also super important. 
man, yeah. Jason, I really appreciate your time. Um, I want to, I'm going to wrap up here. I just want to say thank you. You're, uh, you know, such a energy force. I think one of the things that we downplay in our lives is the energy we bring to what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we need to bring more energy, whether it's, you know, being with our family, being in a meeting with our team, talking to our partners, talking to our clients, talking to prospective clients. And if we're just like, we don't have the energy, how are we ever going to help people become millionaires? Dude, I love the idea of, you know, building millionaires out because that impact and significance and worth um, it's so much more, so much more of a driving factor. So no wonder mm -hmm. you're a no excuse pro, man. I mean, you, you're doing it for not just the normal reasons. Well, I got to get a paycheck. Well, you can go get a paycheck at Walmart. You're doing it for much more than that. And that's something that I found by doing these as a consistent thing throughout all the no excuse professionals I've talked to. So again, I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for coming on yeah. and um, we will chat soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Kevin. And there you have it, folks. Another enlightening episode of the No Excuse Pro podcast is in the books. A heartfelt thank you to today's guests for sharing their wisdom and to you, our valued listeners, for spending your time with us. If you're ready to ditch the excuses and level up, make sure to subscribe and find all our episodes at noexcusepropodcast.com. Don't forget, the only thing standing between you and your goals is the story you tell yourself. So no excuses accepted here. Take action and 